I laughed. I couldn't help it. She responded by digging her toes into the sand, and I could read savage kickings and the wailings of the damned in her face. I didn't have anything inside me to match it. I tried to misdirect, saying in cheery tones, Aren't you ready for snack time, Liza Little? I've got pizza-flavored goldfish crackers at home. She ignored the bribe and repeated, Want it? Demanding, I pack up the water and the sand and the deep blue sky above with half a hundred seagulls and pelicans wheeling around and bring it home and put it in her room. I looked at the rigid set of her spine, her set jaw, and I was already so tired of the fight we were about to have. She was willing to die on this hill, on any old hill, and I wasn't. I told her she could have it. I gave the child the Gulf of Mexico, just like that, and then I picked her up and we stood looking at her ocean. After a minute, I turned my back and she shifted in my arms so she could still see. She rested her cheek against my shoulder and I swayed back and forth to the rhythm of the surf. I stood that way for at least a half an hour until she fell asleep. All the while, the waves crept closer as if the very tide were trying to appease her by coming in and packing itself up into my beach bag. I know that some folks think Liza was so wild and willful because she didn't have a daddy to speak of and her mother was a teenage dumbass. Maybe so. I admit she bent me like a weed to her wind, but I was a woman grown now and no one could say I hadn't done a good job raising Mosey. Mosey was a peach, right up until the trouble year came. I was caught off guard, even though from the first minute of January all the way to June, I had my eyes on the horizon, trying to see whatever might be coming for us. It never occurred to me I might be looking in all the wrong directions. I never thought to look under, never suspected we'd been living on a fault line for years. Then summer came, and Liza had her stroke. I thought that was it. Surely losing most of my own daughter was enough to feed and silence even God. How could that not be all the trouble we were due and more? So I went digging, and what I unearthed would pull Liza down into the black of her own past, would lead Mosey so astray I wasn't sure that I would ever find her, and would finally land me here standing outside the glass wall of a fishbowl conference room full of lawyers and their legal books. Not a one of them was on my side. All I had was me, the truth, and an empty Dixie cup. I don't think the lawyers cared a fig about the truth, so it was pretty much me and the cup. I'd never before thought of custody as an ugly word. To me it meant that the police had the bad guys, so the streets were peaceful and the dark corners of the garden were safe. But today that good word had turned on me, gone purely ugly. Today it meant this cold-eyed crew was coming after Mosey. I could have put an ad up on the Craigslist and tried to get one of my own. Desperately seeking lawyer, must like long walks on the beach, not getting paid, and losing. I hear there's a whole mess of lawyers just like that, 
They keep an office between Mermaid Cove and the Unicorn Forest. I wished for Lawrence beside me. He'd been on the job, as cops say, for twenty-some years now. He ought to be able to stare down a few lawyers. He could make it their silence to break instead of mine. If Lawrence was with me, if he even knew I was here, he'd have my hand in his. I knew what he would tell me that I should trade anything, surrender anything, sacrifice anything, but not let go of Mosey. I knew better than any person breathing how much he'd given up for his own little boys. I was one of the things he'd given up. I imagined his low-set rumble of a whisper in my ear, tried to hear him telling me that I could fight for Mosey now because he knew how hard I'd fought for Liza. But I knew better. He hadn't been.